Hey everyone, I'm Bev. I'm the host of People That Work Today. People That Work is a podcast brought to you by Jostle. And at Jostle, we are creating an employee enablement platform that is helping people be enabled in their workday. And why we care about that is because we think that enabled employees can get on and do amazing things at work um, and feel fulfilled in their personal lives too. So um, at the same time, we are really curious to know what's happening in the world of work for people. We know over the past 18 to 20 months, a lot has changed at work. And, uh, you know, if we thought that building culture and, and uh, helping people be engaged at work was hard um, in 2019, boy, 2020 had a few surprises for us. So um, the learning curve is steep. And uh, that's why the podcast is focused on having conversations with people who are also thinking about this uh, opportunity and the problems that are posed to us. And maybe we can help every person have a more enjoyable day at work. So today, my guest is Dave McKeown. And Dave is the CEO of Outfield Leadership and author of The Self-Evolved Leader, Elevate Your Focus and Develop Your People in a World That Refuses to Slow Down. Dave is the host of the podcast Lead Like You Give a Damn and writes a weekly column for Inc.com. Welcome to the show, Dave. Hey, Bev, thanks for having me. Great to be here with you. So you and I have, have a few things in, in, in common here. Um, we obviously both care about what's going on for leaders and we care about what's happening in the world of work, but um, you yourself are, are a podcast host and I, I really love the name of your, your podcast, Lead Like You Give a Damn. Um, I, I actually have a web domain called Eat Like You Give a Damn. So we, we have some interesting commonalities there. So, um, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure, happy to. So um, I have the podcast and like to give it down. In my day job, I work with senior leadership teams uh, to help them set and achieve their strategic growth goals. Uh, and, and that really takes the two forms. One is just getting together and, and trying to build a strategic plan from where we are to where we want to go. Uh, but then secondly, how do we as a leadership team and then the rest of the leaders in the organization develop the mindset and the skill set that we need to deliver on that plan? Because as as you know, um, a plan, no matter how good it is, is is, is going to uh, live or die on the quality of the people that you have in your organization. And for me, the, the big thing that underpins that is how can we deliver those growth goals, not just in a, in a way that achieve those goals, but also in a way that creates a culture where our people feel like they can grow and develop whilst achieving those goals. Um, so, so there's more of that um, uh, a, a, an approach to leadership that's less about just achieving our goals for the sake of it, but also about deeply rooted in the development of the people that work for us. So that's that's an interesting uh, focus that you've got. It and maybe you could um, help me quickly clarify. So if you're thinking about growth goals in terms of of a leadership capability, in terms of helping people achieve those those growth goals. Does that tie into growth mindset work or or how are you actually helping leaders articulate what a growth goal actually is? So we've got to, to distinguish two things. One is what's the growth goal for the organization? You know, what, what what's our revenue target for next year? What's our customer satisfaction number for next year? What's our, our retention number for, for next year? What are just those, those goals that are going to help us grow the organization? And then underneath that, what are the growth goals that, for us personally? And a big part of the work that I do is on helping leaders realize that they don't have to be, nor should they actually be, the hero in the story of your organization. Um, uh, there are a number of older perspectives of leadership that are really founded in this 
um, perception of the leader as the person that's out front, leading the way, knowing with certainty where we're going, dealing with every situation that comes in, in the trenches with their team. And I think that we're finding more and more in our overly complex world, no single leader can lead with that degree of certainty. And also it becomes problematic because if you're constantly jumping in and saving the day for your team, ultimately you're making yourself the bottleneck and you're disempowering them um, because eventually they'll just stop thinking for themselves. They'll say, well, Bev's just going to jump in and, and, and sort this for me. So what do you want me to do, Bev? And and growth mindset, what you talked about, I think is a big bit there because there's there, there, there has to be a realization for a leader of the liability of their approach to leadership. So they may have been leading in a particular way for a long period of time, um, but they get to a point where they realize this isn't as effective as it used to be. And so that desire, that um, understanding of the, of, the, of the limitations of their growth and then that desire to push past that, I think, ties in with growth mindset. And Dave, I'm curious, you've obviously been thinking about and, and working with leaders for, for quite some time and, you know, way before the, the pandemic arrived. Um, what's changed for you in terms of the way that you're actually engaging with and, and talking with people that you're, you're coaching and advising now that uh, we've lived through 18 to 20 months of a global pandemic? I think it, it changes on a regular basis, you know, and I think when we look back on this, there'll, there'll definitely be some distinct phases. Um, I, I think that there are two things that have shifted. One is just what, it, what is the near-term challenge that leaders are facing. And you know, way back at the beginning of the pandemic, it clearly was uh, crisis management, trying to make sure that, you know, everybody's safe, make sure that they have a plan to switch everybody to virtual, all of that really short, make sure that they've got a plan to survive whatever the next couple of months are. The challenges that organizations that I see are, are facing at the minute have now evolved into how do we navigate um, trying to create some medium and long-term plans and balance that with the fact that things still are ever-changing on a day-to-day -day basis. And I think more than ever, leaders need to have a two-track planning process. So what do we want to achieve in the next 18 months to three years, knowing that the world is changing? And then also, how do we have a ruthless focus on the next 90 days so that we can pivot a little faster than, than we maybe were able to before? So the challenges that folks are facing have, have changed a lot. The second challenge I think that a lot of organizations are, are, are dealing with is just hiring. How do, how do I replenish um, the headcount that I need that that may have got cut down over the last 18 months? Uh, and then the second way is just literally how, how we engage. And, and I think the last 18 months, one of the um, positives, and I, and I don't mean that in like I'm really glad it, we had we, we went through what we went through to get to, to this positive, but one of the positives is um, this ability to to really push the boundaries of what it means to um, engage with one another in a virtual and then as we're moving towards a hybrid world. And, and I think that um, over the next two to three years, we'll continue to see evolution in, in that perspective that will give employees a little bit more control over how and when and, and, and where they work. Um, and, and that even though itself, funny enough, will become a challenge for leaders as well as they're trying to figure out their return to work policy. They're trying to figure out long-term hybrid working mechanisms, what tools, what software they need to use to ensure that um, engagement is, is increased. And I have no doubt that we'll go through another couple of phases before we're at the back end of, of all of this. Uh, and uh, we'll just have to see what those are. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, none of us have the answers uh, and uh, can't pretend to have the answers either. That's one of the most, the, the, the trickiest parts, I think, of the, the shift that we've had to make here as leaders, right? Um, is And I think it ties into what, what you were, were talking about earlier about moving away from this outmoded way of operating as a leader where you are out in the front and you are, you have all the answers and you're making all the decisions. Uh, you know, that way of operating isn't working anymore. Mm -hmm. um, well, I mean, I think it's one thing that it, it, the last two years has shone a light on is just the fact that certainty is, is a bit of a facade because anything can happen. And, you know, we're seeing more and more black swan events, more and more things that we didn't know we didn't know were occurring. And whether it's pandemics or the impacts of climate change or, um, you know, even societal movements towards embracing social justice. There are just a ton of things that are happening that leaders have to adapt towards. And, 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 and those leaders that hold on to the old ways of doing are the ones that are less effective. Whereas those that turn up and say, hey, look, there's a whole bunch of stuff that's outside of our control. There's a whole bunch of stuff that I know that I don't know. Uh, here's the, the small sphere of things that I do know. Um, how do we collectively as a team figure our, our way through this? What are the solutions, ideas, possibilities that are out there? And, and there's a, it's just a, a massive uh, indication of the emotional maturity of a leader who, uh, if they have the ability just to show up and say, I don't know the answer, but you know what? I know that we have the, the skills, we have smart people, we have the ability to, to figure that out. So let's go down that path together. Um, but that takes up. A lot of emotional maturity and a, in a and a stripping away of the ego of a leader to be able to turn up and say I, I I don't know because so often we have been told that 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 you're not adding value to your team if you don't know the answer so that's a, I think a a slow shift that we're seeing uh, in terms of how leaders are showing up in moments of uncertainty. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, and and I'd like to to ask you um, a little more about what you were talking about um, in terms of the shifts that have happened with regards to the, the near, medium and long-term challenges and goal setting that, that organizations and leaders are, are facing. And as we do shift into uh, a hybrid mode, um, what do you think are, are two or three of the the, the key skills that leaders need to be focusing on in this moment? I think the big thing for shifting to a hybrid world, those that were successful in the initial shift to a remote world took this approach, which is it's not about moving the offline online, um, but building a, a virtual way of working with your team is a different set of tools there's a different mindset there and you just have to you have to redesign it and i think hybrid is going to be the same there's going to be a tendency to want to localize uh discussions and decision making around the f the folks that are physically present together so what we'll see is um there'll be a lot of teams that will have six people in a room and maybe you know six people dialing in what they'll do is they'll have a discussion in the room and then they'll say, oh, must remember the folks that are dialed in virtually. What do you guys think? They'll get an opportunity to share their thoughts. And then the discussion and ultimately the decision will move into where those folks are physically gathered. And that's not the way to do it or certainly not the way that I think is the most advantageous. I think we, in order to, um, we have to design our meetings and our interactions in this virtual setting, which means that the locus of discussion and control isn't where people are physically present. It's actually through the, it's, you know, it's 
in the ether. It's, it's in the cloud. That's where it is. And so simple things like building agendas that are specifically meant for drawing in the virtual attendees' perspectives first and throughout the session, um, using collaboration tools that aren't physically in the room. So often folks have whiteboards and, and flip charts. It, 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 we sh I don't think that it's in our best interests to use those physically. I think we should continue to do that virtually. That means that um, folks have the ability to interact even whenever people are, are, are physically present. And then I think the um, third thing, particularly on around smaller group discussions and meetings is if you need to send folks off to smaller breakout sessions, the tendency would be to say, okay, the folks that are physically together, you go into a breakout room, we'll send the virtual people into a breakout room. You should begin to start to set up workstations so that uh, a couple of physical attendees can go join with a couple of virtual attendees and that that's the way in which we do it so that it's a, just a more intentional way of, of blending those two things together because otherwise the folks that are operating from their home environment or, or elsewhere virtually will start to realize that this is becoming an awesome name perspective and, and, and my voice isn't getting heard and the decisions are being made elsewhere and I'm not being able to take part in this and also the team's losing out on the, on the expertise that those folks bring. So I think that's a, it's a really practical thing, but it's a hugely important thing. You just start thinking about hybrid. It, it's designed the way you interact with your team in a different way. I love that you went straight to the practical side of this. And I, I think that is really where we need to be operating right now. We really need to be on the ground level of this and thinking about like, what does this actually look like in practice for us? Right. And as you were describing that, um, you know, scenario where we've got, you know, people who are in the office of people who aren't, I, I was thinking about, have you seen the show Mythic Quest? It's an Apple TV show. And, you know, they, they, they're sort of making fun of this idea that you, you're going to have some people in the office and then you've got these robotic little things on wheels with the iPad screens for the heads. And, like, <laughs> you know, that's, that's where we're headed, right? Like we, we, we have to try and as funny as that is, and it, it looks a bit awkward in, in the show, um, Ultimately, we've got to try and get to that that fairness and that 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 equity, right? Where we can provide a voice for every person. And I really love the way that you frame that as, you know, we we really do need to be be thinking anew about this, not about, well, let's just take what we used to do and adapt it. Right. right. And and I think that there's, you know, technology drives the trend, society picks it up on it, and then the workplace finally adopts it. And a, a, a movement towards a hybrid working is going to be um, slower than we thought it was going to be and faster than we thought it was going to be in, in a weird way. You know, I think uh, a lot of folks think, oh my goodness, we've got to make sure that we're all completely working hybrid for the rest of our life and, and nobody's ever going to return to the office. And I, I don't think that's necessarily going to be the case. I think there'll be plenty of circumstances where folks are like, we're all back in the office and it's working well. But over the long run, I, I, I don't think that we can avoid the fact that ultimately at some point we're going to end up in a world where we're all plugged into the work that we're doing together through whatever bit of hardware or device that we have. And and that may be that I'm physically in an office or it might be that I've got, um, you know, a Zoom call up or I've got my VR goggles on or whatever. And, and I just think that technology is moving in that direction. Society will continue to interact with each other in that direction and the workplace will have to pick it up. So well, why not use this opportunity we have as a time to just get a little bit good at some of the foundations of it, you know, just tweak change a little bit of the way so that, I love your point there, that we're injecting more equity into how that operates um, so that it doesn't, you know, for those folks that have the option to to engage with their team in, in 
non-standard, non-typical ways are able to do it and, and still able to have uh, a fair share of the discussion, the decision-making, and, and that their career isn't impacted as a result of it. Yeah, so Dave, tell me a bit about your thoughts on, we've talked quite specifically about office workers and, and people who are able to disperse and go into their homes or wherever they are now working from. Um, you know, they're, they fall into that knowledge worker category. What about those organizations and those workforces that are not able to work from their homes? Hybrid work is not an option for them. Um, what are the challenges that those leaders are facing with those um, demographics or those groups of people in the workplace right now? It's a really good point and, and one that I do wrestle with in my head, which is, are we ultimately saying that we're going to move to a two-track system where, unfortunately, one group of slightly better off knowledge workers are able to do all of this. And then the folks that are at the front lines that are typically from from minority or marginalized backgrounds are the ones that are going to have to come in and, and be at the cool face. And, and it's a complex situation and, and every organization is going to be different. I think there'll be a couple of things that happen. One, I think we're seeing that even in those... Um, frontline jobs uh there's a bit of a, a of a hiring lack um and the labor pool is kind of saying i don't want to go and do that and so our the leaders are having to find a better way to incentivize new talent other than just saying hey we'll give you some money to do it i mean i think that there there there, there will be an increase in wages as a result of it and or i think leaders are having to find ways to just create better working environments and, and to appreciate and respect the person as a whole. Um, I think coupled with that, we will also in a number of industries just continue to see the 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 march towards automation of of a lot of, of those frontline rules. Um, and then it's, I think the, the challenge is on the leader on how to help the folks in their organization go through a journey of upskilling so that they can um, move throughout their organization if there are opportunities for them to grow or develop. So it's, it's, a, it's a complex um, issue, um, but certainly one that needs to be tackled. Yeah, and I think it gets even more complicated when you've got organizations that have got a bit of both of those kinds of employees, right? Like just this past week, Nike announced that they had their wellness week for their staff. Um, I don't know if that extended to office workers as well as people in their production plants and the facilities that are fabricating their materials or their right. products. So it just, just when we think we're, we're sort of getting ahead of, ahead of this, right, there's a new layer of complexity arriving right. and, and it's really hard to be fair across those groups of people, right, when they're so different in the work that they do and the responsibilities that they have in the organization, isn't it? Very very much so. And and I think that it requires some deep thinking. And I, and I think that it, it's, um, it's something that the, the leaders of our organization, I think, owe to the workforce of the next number of years to do a little bit of that difficult thinking to say, how, how can we avoid... Um, building deeper inequality in our workforce just based on the fact that somebody does a, a job that requires more use of their hands or they need to be in person versus somebody that gets to send emails and Slack messages and just put words in a particular order, you know, and, and um, I think those organizations that are able to solve that problem in the long term will be the ones that will continue to grow and outpace their, their, their customers. I think uh, what we may start to see negatively is 
we may start to see that organizations actually begin to outsource more and more of those uh, um, jobs that need to be done in person or that are deemed a little bit more tricky. Um, because not, I'm not saying that this is the right thing, but it sort of allows them to to scald themselves from that. Like, well, we can we can maintain our high you know high values that we have because we just outsource that to somebody else and let that sit on their corporate conscience rather than it sitting on ours. And and I, I'm not quite sure that that's necessarily the right. Yeah, ethically, maybe not, or I don't know. Is I, I'm not even sure if it is actually an, an ethical situation. But um, you know, I think in Nike's case, that that probably is largely um, how they've tackled that, right? Because I, I don't know that their production facilities are considered to have Nike employees. They're probably right. outsourcing that part of it. So, right. um, but yeah, certainly tricky times, right? Oh, for sure. And I think that for organizations that that, that do do that, I mean, you've got to ensure the quality and an ethical standard of your supply chain you know and, and i think a lot of organizations are, are are looking at that whether they're doing it to the the highest degree that they should or could probably remains to be seen yeah so i'd like to dig into the second shift that you talked about around hiring and people retention and and, and engaging people during this very uncertain phase that we're in um We've all heard the turnover tsunami is here. The great resignation is happening. I love how these catchphrases just quickly arise and everyone jumps on them like a tsunami coming to <laughs> to destroy everything. Um, the question I have for you is, so we know that there's enormous pressure on organizations because people are leaving. Data is starting to arrive to show that that people are, are more um, thirsty than ever for a change. They've maybe not been treated that well through the, the, the pandemic. They've realized that they've got more mobility and more flexibility than ever before. Mm-hmm. Um, from a leadership perspective, we've talked about some of the things that leaders need to be thinking about. How can we ask for patience from our employees for us to actually get some of those things in place that are actually going to improve the organization and the experience at that organization as we're all on this learning curve. Like that's one of my biggest concerns is that Mm. employees are just not going to give us the time we need to actually put some things into place. So what are your thoughts on that? I I mean, in a really simple answer, you've got to ask for it, um, but, but you've got to do it in a way that You've got to give folks the opportunity to share their thoughts and perspectives on, on what's working, what's not working, and what they'd like to see happen. Then you've got to come back to them and say, okay, we've heard you. This is what we've heard. Um, of the 10 things that were suggested or the 10 themes, here are the six things that we're going to work on. These four things we can't for whatever reason or we're choosing not to or it doesn't fit with our values or it's just not who we are or we don't have the the time and maybe it'll be later on. But here are the six things. And, and, and here is the, the path and the plan that we have to put down in place. And then we're going to come back to you and and, and give you semi-regular updates on our progress towards it. Um, what that does is it, it, it opens a loop in folks' perspectives in their minds. I get the opportunity to share something, which is great. People like that. But then, then what often happens after a hearing session like that is um, leaders leadership doesn't come back. So they're just like, oh, that was great. Really glad we got a bunch of stuff. We're going to go do some stuff. Like. And, and people need those psychological loops closed in their head. And so just... Literally coming back and saying, this is what we heard from you. This, these are what we're intending to do. And we'll come back next quarter at our, at our next town hall and, and give you an, an update on And then obviously, you've got to make a genuine effort to to move to move through those things that you've said that you're going to do. Um, at the end of the day, if that's not enough for the folks in your organization, 
and there's kind of very little that you can do that maybe it is right on better for them to go find something some somewhere somewhere else you're you're giving your best effort into that assuming that you are um and at that point then they get to make that decision is that good enough for me or do i need something more and if they need something more you know what hey i think we've got to take the perspective that says um you know thank you for being here really appreciate it oh you know wish you all the best you know let us know what we can do to help you um but so long as as you're intentional about what you're going to do with that feedback and you're open and honest transparent your communication with that there's not a lot else we can we can do outside of it. Um, I think the over there's an overarching thing here that it, when we're faced with a crisis of a dearth of talent out there, we have a tendency to focus on the short term need. So we need 50 new you know warehouse workers, or we need 100 new customer service reps, and yes, we do, and we've got to find a group of people that can go do that for us. But, but ultimately what it's indicating is there's probably a more of a medium and a long-term issue. So actually at the same time as trying to fix and plug that hole, you probably want to take a step back and say, okay, well, let's take a look at our, at our entire um, recruitment and onboarding process. Uh, and what is, what's the message that we put into the, out into the world about who we are as an organization? And do we uphold that message throughout the hiring the recruitment, the hiring, and the onboarding process, um, because often that's where folks begin to think, "Hey, this is just not." There's a mismatch between what I thought I was coming into and what it really is. So, if there's anybody out there that is listening that's got a hiring issue, fix the short term, but have another working group that's going to take a look at the longer term stuff for you. Yeah, once once more, it's a very complicated situation. Right. <laughs> um, I'm glad that you raised the 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 onboarding topic though, because I I wanted to ask you about this concept of um, reporting. I don't know if you've heard that recently, where we are we are now as we're moving into hybrid. Um, leaders are being encouraged to reboard people into this new way of working almost as if everybody was a new employee within the organization and reintroducing everyone to one another and to the way of moving forward. What's your impression or opinion on, on whether that is a useful tactic? I think it's useful so, so long as there's intentionality behind it. And, and actually, I would go even a step back further. Um, so much of, of the way your organization works, what you stand for, who you serve, how you serve them has been at, at the very least shaken up, been shaken up like a snow globe over the last 18 months. And for a lot of leaders who were intentional over the last 18 months, they were able to start to strip away some stuff that kind of just accretes. Whenever we go through periods of relative ease in our, in our organization, it's it's much easier for us to 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 turn a blind eye to things that we maybe wouldn't otherwise. So our values start to creak a little bit or we start to serve a customer in a particular way that we wouldn't serve any other customer, but we do it just because they're a big customer and, and or maybe there's, you know, some processes that have been put in place that just don't really serve who we want to be. And, and, a, and a number of leaders have taken a step back over the last two years and said, well, what, what is, what is our truth? Who really are we? Who, how do we want it to show up? Who do we serve? How do we serve them? What do we need to strip away? And if you have done that exercise, awesome. You're probably in a really good place to reboard people because you're reboarding them based on this understanding, the assumption of, of, of what it is that we are at this point in our, in our journey. If you haven't, 
and you're thinking about doing a rebooting process, I would say take a step back and do that. Go through that exercise with your team. Ask yourself questions like what is true to us now that wasn't true? What's changed? What hasn't changed? What is the same? What's different? And, and the answer may well be, you know what, it's all pretty much the same. That's great, but at least you've gone through that exercise and you can say with complete certainty for your folks, hey, we're going to put you through this reporting process. We, at, at its core, we're the same, but we're going to work in different ways, Lori. And, and then you go in and, and talk about that aspect of it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that there's a lot of scurrying right now just to jump into the next thing. And perhaps a, that pause is really important for, for senior leaders and, and operants in organizations to actually understand how do you want to move forward and what is the structure you need and what are the behaviors and the new rituals and that sort of thing before just barreling on into layering on more, which could potentially create more confusion for people. Right. And then what happens is in time of crisis, we take a dive to the runway level, rightfully so, because we've got to fix it. And so we've got to look at what do we need to do today, tomorrow, this week, maybe this month, you know, but it's probably on a weekly basis. That's a very strong gravitational pull. And if you stay in, in firefighting mode too long, it's very hard to get out of it because you, you start to embed endorphins. Uh, every day is a crisis and we get to, we get a short feedback loop. We get to the end of the day and we go, Hey, that was tough, but we made it and I did a good job. Awesome. I'm going to do the same thing tomorrow. And, and, and for teams, for leaders, for organizations, um, breaking out of that cycle can be a little difficult. You've got to be very specific and intentional about it. And, and so. At taking a step back and reevaluating who we are, taking another stab at where we want to be in the next 18 months can help counteract that gravitational pull of the day-to-day. -day. Otherwise, there are going to be a lot of organizations that a year from now are still very much focused on this day, this week, and 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 there's not a lot of strategic intent there. Um, and so that's why I encourage folks to run dual tracks. What needs to happen today and what do you want to do next year? Um, and, and and keep those those two perspectives at the same time. Yeah, I think that's very interesting that you're thinking about it in those terms. Um, I just wrapped up a research paper earlier this year where we studied the the impact of remote work on inclusion and belonging. And um, one of the key findings that myself and my research partner, um, Dr. Barth at Dialectic found was that leaders and organizations were in this operational crisis mode that was ne necessary in the beginning of the pandemic, but they'd actually stuck with it. And so you were talking about every day is, is putting out the fire, right? Like in staying in that way of thinking. And basically you end up constantly transacting instead of relating. Right. And the human experience suffers because of that. So, so. Um, really what I'm hearing from you is that just said in a different way that we need to go back to relating to one another, finding those moments of connection, finding those opportunities to be real people at work, doing work together instead of just inputs trying to get through the day. Um, is this machine that is work, right? Right. And setting ourselves longer term goals that we need to to collectively gather together to work towards rather than that just that day to day or week to week goal of, of survival or just getting through it. And you know, a lot of the issues and challenges that leaders are are faced with are are not easy fixes, but we try to fix them in this transactional perspective. And it's it's just we're just sticking band-aids on on stuff, you know, rather than than saying, okay, let's take a beat. This is an issue and it's a problem. And would we like it to be fixed tomorrow? Yes. But you know, do we want to fix it? Um do we want to put a band-aid solution on it and move forward? Or do we actually want to take the time and, and really understand the root of the issue, what our challenges are, what our potential solutions are, and then and then collectively stack hands on a solution that's going to stay with us for the long term. 
Yeah, and that's the key, right? It's it's not just thinking about today. It's it's about thinking uh, medium and longer term, as uh, you know, per the points you've already made. So, Dave, as we're wrapping up here this morning, I'd love to ask you that your book is focused on the self-evolved leader. And obviously, we've talked a bit about leaders here today. We've talked about the context of organizations in which leaders now have to operate in. But if you had to isolate one skill or something that leaders should be taking on board right now in this moment to help them with their medium and long-term success, um, what is that thing that leaders should be working on for themselves? Um, I talk about the self-evolved leaders mantra um, is that my focus is on helping my team achieve our shared goals and in doing so to become the best version of themselves. And those two things are equally important. We've got to be aligned around the shared goals that we have. Um, it's not enough if I succeed and you and you fail, Lou, because we're a team. We've got to work towards those shared goals. But then secondly, the, we've got to find a way to grow and develop as a result of achieving those goals because what happens often for leaders is they help their team set these goals and then they work like crazy to make sure their team achieves their goals and 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 their team isn't growing or developing as a result of it. And so no matter what current crisis or issue that your organization is going through, if you keep that top of mind, okay, what are our shared goals over the medium and long term? And how can I set up a culture and environment, a system to ensure that my team is achieving those and growing and developing as a result of it? You do that and, you know, that's 80% of the, the way in there being a, a really stellar, high-performing leader. Fantastic. Well, I'm sure harder to put into practice than to talk about, but, uh, Very much so. you know, lots to think about in this current time and, and uh, you know, in the coming months, I'm sure there'll be even more challenges waiting for us, but... It's been lovely to chat with you today and thanks for sharing your, your thoughts and ideas with people at work. Thank you for having me, Bev. been a wonderful discussion. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to People at Work. If you enjoyed the episode today, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, we'd really appreciate it. We'd love to get this material into the ears, hearts, and minds of as many listeners as possible and would really appreciate your help. Until next time.